all master policies are not the same. What they cover and what they don't cover, you have to really probe and ask and dig to find out what is covered and what is not covered. Because the insurance agency is being asked to provide a policy that fits with the master without duplicating coverage from the master. And so I always tell people, if you call an insurance agency and you've got a condo and you say, I need insurance for my rental property. And if they give you, if they say, if they say well, uh, we have a policy for that and it's gonna cost $425 a year. If they can give you an answer over the phone with one phone call, that's wrong. That's totally and completely wrong. You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Welcome to another episode of the Azria Show. I am your host, Marcus Maloney, and we have our co-host and executive director, Mike Delpreet, in the building today. Hello, hello. And we have our very special guest, Clark Sanchez of Clark Sanchez Insurance Agency, who specializes in investor services when it comes to insurance coverage. So today we're going to be talking about the thing that everybody needs, but don't necessarily want uh, (laughs) when it comes to insurance. So Clark, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Great, great, great. So give us a little bit of background about you, Clark. How did you get into insurance and what did you do prior to? So I'm originally from Evanston, Illinois. Oh, okay. Northwestern. And yeah, my dad was a professor at Northwestern. And uh, I uh, uh, graduated from University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. Okay. Fighting Illini. Fighting Illini. And I worked for Caterpillar Tractor in Peoria for a short time. And in my draft, this was during the Vietnam period, my draft board was knocking on my door. So I went into the U.S. Coast Guard for three and a half years. And when I came out, uh, I had a master's degree in marketing. And I worked for a couple of companies that one of which brought me to Phoenix. That was the Dial Soap Company. And after eight years with Dial Soap, I was encouraged by a buddy of mine, an Army captain that I knew when I was in the Coast Guard. Uh, he had become a, an insurance agent, and he encouraged me to follow in his footsteps, and I did. Wow. wow! Dial Soap, that's a big company. That's a big company. They were here for a long time, and then they were bought by a German company, and mm-hmm. they moved the headquarters to New England, to Massachusetts. Oh, got it. Or Connecticut. Okay. Wild okay. stomping grounds. And, and let's not forget, Clark is a business associate here at Ezria and longtime business associate, one of the originals. I think it, I think it's in, it's the, the high 20s, uh, 26, 28, 30 years. So you've been in the insurance business for- 42 years. 42 years. 
Azria has been around 20. So you've been with us the whole time. So right there in itself says a lot, right? If, if Clark's been here for 20 years, no complaints, just nothing but high level service in the insurance business. And we keep you around and you want to stay around and we appreciate you, man. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds good. So with insurance, Clark, I mean, Again, like I said in the intro, everybody needs it, needs it, but don't necessarily want to pay for it. So kind of tell us some of those coming from that investor perspective, some of the liability lawsuit protections that we need when it comes to our rental properties. So I would say that the number one uh, insurance item is probably lawsuit protection. Everybody's concerned about their personal assets. They don't want them to be at risk and they need liability protection. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know there was a day, a time when lawyers were not permitted to advertise on radio and television. Oh, really? And uh, not too many years ago, that all changed. And it changed because a couple of young, new law school graduates filed a lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And those two attorneys were located in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm. So it all began right here in Phoenix. And the Supreme Court found in their favor and said, it's okay for lawyers to advertise on television. And everything has changed since then, because in a wreck, need a check. Mm -hmm. uh, I was exactly thinking these that. these guys. kinds of approaches. Of course, what they don't say is they don't say that if you come to them and you caused the accident and you were uh, had a high alcohol content at the time, they simply do not accept you as a client. Mm -hmm. So, but when it comes to rental property. Lawsuit protection is key. And when I see policies from people that come to me and say, can you give me a quote? And those people are protected for $100,000 or $300,000 in lawsuit protection by their insurance policy. I just scratch my head because those are very, very, very low limits. In my insurance agency, we begin at 2 million. A few people will need more than that. The average person can probably accept 2 million as an adequate amount, but uh, 100,000, 300,000, it costs so little additional to go to 2 million. And you've got to look at that several ways. Number one, even a big insurance company doesn't want to write a check for 2 million. Mm -hmm. So where they might say, ah, a hundred thousand, let's just write the check and kiss this right. customer goodbye. We don't even have to go to court. We'll give him a hundred thousand. And then after that, it's up to him to figure it out with the, with the, with the people that are yeah. the, with the plaintiff. Exactly. So lawsuit coverage is really important. Having enough coverage is really important. Nobody can say what is it enough, but I would say that 2 million is a lot better than a hundred thousand. So now is this over your entire portfolio or should that be 
So let's just say if, because I, I want to make sure everybody have clarity. So let's just say if I own 20 property, 20 properties, and am I getting this blanket liability coverage on my business that's holding these 20 properties, or am I getting liability coverage on each one of the properties? So most insurance companies do it property by property. Okay. And uh, the 2 million is for that particular house, that particular single family rental property. Um, very few companies issue one policy for 10 or 20 or 30 properties. Okay. One of the reasons for that is that in the Western states, if you have a mortgage, the mortgage company usually impounds and pays the insurance. So let's imagine that you have 15 rental properties and you've got 15 different mortgage companies and it comes time to renew the policy. 14 of those companies mail their check-in, but the insurance company says, I'm sorry, we're canceling the policy for non-payment because the 15th company never sent us their check. Mm -hmm. So when it's property by property, it's a lot easier to administer. Okay. Okay. Great question. Uh, great answer. Um, so when it comes to, so owning these, these rental properties, is there specific verbiage that should be in like the liability coverage? You know, let's just say if it's, trip and fall hazard or was there a specific coverage that should be? So virtually all companies provide comparable coverage. Okay. It's very broad and it covers anything that might happen uh, as far as injuries, as far as somebody being hurt on the property. There was a claim that was settled in Mesa two or three years ago where a lady claimed that uh, the tax strip on the carpet was coming through the, the carpet. And mm -hmm. when she walked barefoot in her apartment or her rental house, the tax strip right. was uh, uh, breaking the skin on her feet and she got an infection and it became a big deal. Wow. So, she walking around the edge of the the bedroom? Yeah, she had to be walking around the edge of the bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the big uh, attorneys here in town who uh, looked at the case said, ah, oh, this is crazy. She's not going to she's not going to win this case. But she did get she did win and she collected one hundred thousand for wow. her injuries. So wow. uh, you just never know uh, what what's going to happen. Mm hmm. So that's very interesting. How how often do you see stuff like that that are just kind of a little on the edge, gray area of these these claims? We don't see those very often, but I have seen a claim where uh, they sued for a million dollars, and I thought they deserved it, and they the court agreed and gave them a million. Awesome! Wow. This was a case where a maintenance man in an apartment building splattered swimming pool acid all over the body, including the face of a gentleman who was a resident of the complex. Oh, wow. That's unfortunate. So that had to be intentional. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, that was totally unintentional. Oh, really? Really? Oh, sure. What was happening in that particular case was the air conditioning unit in one of the apartments, the condensation tubing was clogged and sometimes that condensation overflow gets really gloppy and thick and gel-like. Mm -hmm. So the, the pipe was clogged. The maintenance man thought like Drano, he thought, okay. I'll just take some swimming pool acid, I'll pour it into the pipe and it'll clean it out. Well, he asked this elderly gentleman who was visiting the resident in the apartment they asked him if he would hold, hold the, the pipe, the pipe mm. at the bucket and make sure that when it broke through that it went into the bucket uh -huh. well what happened was when the acid broke through it was an like an explosion and the acid just uh, splattered uh -huh. everywhere Wow. And Marcus, you thought it was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it still was. We should look into it. Yeah. No, uh, so as we, since we're talking about liability, accidents happen. Accidents happen. And it's just what it, way it is. And, and then things happen on purpose, right? Either way, we're not at our rental property. We're not there to control everything every, every minute of the day. So any last, because I know we have a few different topics you want to cover for our members today. So any last thoughts on the importance of liability that you want to cover? Well, one of the things, of course, is that most property managers ask that they be named on the insurance policy mm -hmm. along with the owner. And that's great. And it doesn't usually cost anything. And that way, when they sue the owner and the property manager, it makes it easy because they're being defended by the same legal same. team. Okay. Mm. The problem is that occasionally an owner fails to add the property manager and occasionally the owner may use an umbrella to get his liability protection and umbrellas only cover the owner umbrellas do not extend to property managers. Mm. So anytime you hear the word umbrella, if you're a property manager or if you perform property management services, you need to make sure that if you don't even include the umbrella, that there's enough coverage to protect you. Okay. Very good. Awesome. So then that property manager would be like an additional insured on That's that policy. Correct. I didn't That's know correct. that. I never, that's I don't, correct. Wow. All right. That's, I mean, that's, that's well that. worth this weight in gold. So you guys out there that's managing properties, you have your property management services, probably need to request to see the owner's policies and make sure you're added as an additional insured on those policies. So what happens is if they are added, the insurance company asks for the address of the property manager and they send them in the postal mail a certificate showing that they have been added. And then at the same time, if the owner or the landlord, if he doesn't pay the renewal or if he cancels the policy or if he, I don't know why he'd do this, but if he took the property manager off the policy, in all of those cases, the property manager is going to receive a notification in the mail that he's no longer protected so he has a chance to call up the his landlord client 
and mm -hmm. say what happened here. Got okay. it. Got it. Wow. All right. So what's the next um, topic you want to cover with us? So a good topic to cover is the fact that homeowners insurance, where you have a policy for your personal residence, those policies have evolved over the years and the insurance companies have added a lot of special features to those policies. However, rental property, investor-owned rental property policies have not received the same treatment. Most investor-owned rental properties have not had special features added over the years. A good example would be building code coverage. Hmm. Now, there's really only one building code in the entire United States. I'm sorry, there are really two building codes. There is the city of Chicago, and there's everybody else. <laughs> Chicago, a very strong union city, mm -hmm. has its own building code. But every place else uses a standardized building code. And here's the problem. The insurance policy says, if the house burns down, we'll rebuild the same house. And people say, well, that, that makes sense to me. I, mm -hmm. I didn't have, uh, the house wasn't the White House or the Taj Mahal. Mm -hmm. All I want is for them to rebuild the same house. But you get into some difficulties because when they go to rebuild the same house, the city comes along or the county comes along and says, ah, not so fast. There's been some building code changes since that house was built, and we need for you to comply with the new building code changes. If that house was owner-occupied, probably building code coverage would have been added by the insurance company. But because it's a rental property, building code coverage is not usually automatic, and so it was never added. And I've seen rental properties where building code changes involve maybe $30,000, $40,000 in extra cost mm -hmm. be because the policy they had did not include building codes. That was money out of the landlord's pocket. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can attest to that um, when it comes to like the building codes, because I know pre a certain date, you know, you didn't have to have like your smoke detectors and CO2 detectors hardwired. But then after that date, you had to have them hardwired. So if something happens to that property, then you would have to have those detectors hardwired. And that's, you know, could be $10,000 right there. Just that's for exactly that. right. That's exactly right. And so that there's no mistakes here. Um, we're not talking about CO2, which is carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. We're talking about CO1, which is carbon monoxide. Mm -hmm. And carbon monoxide uh, detection is now part of the building code in many, many areas. Yep. And like today, Scottsdale and a couple of other areas around the valley, they require fire sprinklers, sprinklers. in the house. If the house has a certain amount of damage in a claim, then the rebuild must include fire sprinklers. Fire sprinklers can add ten or twenty thousand dollars to and the rebuild cost for a single family. Sure, of oh, course. I thought that was for five units and up. 
Oh, no, no, no. That's new. Okay. No, no, wow. no. For single family. Scottsdale requires for single family and so do a couple of the other cities. Wow. Good to know. Wow. So what about, okay, so again, coming from that landlord perspective, what about uh, tenants that just leave and they leave their stuff in the property? How? What, what kind of coverage? How do we deal with, with that kind of issues when it comes to insurance? So insurance, as far as the stuff owned by the tenant, insurance is concerned when the tenant is still in the property and decides that they're going to turn the carport into a storage facility, mm -hmm. or they are bringing home from work some of their material, buckets of paint, bricks, wrought mm -hmm. iron, uh, lumber. Uh, I had uh, one property, rental property, where the uh, tenant was uh, a, 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 a mason and they installed cement driveways and things like that. And they had stored at the rental property three cement mixers. Mm. The insurance company says, look, it, if, if these people have business material, they need to have a place for that other than the rental property. Because all of these items add to the liability risk. Right. If they have a stack of concrete blocks in uh, the front yard and kids are playing with their friends, maybe the the uh, tenant has a couple of kids too, and one of these stacks of bricks or blocks tips over and falls on some child, why that's a easy lawsuit to lose because they shouldn't have been there in the first place. Mm -hmm. So we really encourage property managers or owners, if they're managing their properties for themselves, to double check their properties a minimum of once every quarter to make sure that there is not excess debris, excess junk, excess uh, uh, material from the job or the occupation of the tenant. Just like we also don't allow automobiles, trucks and trailers and motorhomes and boats if they are not currently licensed and currently registered. If they're storing old junk cars and old junk vehicles and trailers and so forth on the property, most insurance companies will tell them, I'm sorry, you have to find another place for these. We don't allow mm -hmm. this here. I have a couple of questions. I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase house hacking. Yeah. You know, okay. There's, and there's many different ways to house hack, right? Some people live in a single family, rent out the bedrooms. You could buy a triplex or a fourplex, live in one, rent out the others. And there's also, you can do a fix and flip and you could do a live in flip and remodel the house while you're flipping it. Right. So when it comes to like single family renting out the bedrooms, is there anything special you need insurance wise? Well, in the event that the the tenant rents out uh, a room 
and does it legally uh, according to his lease Mm -hmm. The lease says that he must get permission from the landlord mm -hmm. and he does get permission. Then if the tenant has a renter's policy, he must look to the insurance company that gave him that renter's policy and make sure that he has coverage if he's subletting out one of the rooms in the house. That gets yep. really complicated, and I don't run across that that often Ooh. because most people who are subletting are doing it on the sly without even telling anybody. Yeah. So, or what about the situation where someone's like an aspiring investor and they want to and they use an FHA loan? They go, they buy the house themselves. Then they have their insurance policy and they live in the house, and then they rent out the other bedrooms. Is there anything additional they should have if they're the owner and they're not subletting? So a homeowner's policy or a landlord's policy has a provision for renting out a room and it varies by company, but they would want to, if they want to make sure that they're protected and covered in case something happens, they need to talk with that insurance company, that insurance agent and make sure that they're protected. Got it. And that leads me to the second part for the house hacking is like a live-in flip. So if I'm buying a fix and flip, so I know you focus on rentals, but if they're going to live in it for two years to bypass the capital gains and remodel the house and do construction over two years, what would you recommend for that person? Well, it depends on how severe or how intense the remodeling is. Okay. Most insurance policies say if you're painting and you're carpeting or changing the floor, you don't have to change your insurance policy at all. But if you're taking out walls, if you're retiling a bathroom, if you're doing substantial changes to the house, then you probably need a special insurance policy that covers construction during the time you're in the property. Got it. Perfect. Cool. That's helpful. Kind of going back to what Mike was tying into with the fix and flips and everything like that. So should that should that owner that's doing a fix and flip, let's just say they're there, they anticipate holding that property for six months. Should they have a vacant, vacant property policy on that property as well? So most insurance policies do not cover vacancy. So people who are flippers and who are not living in the house need to make sure that the insurance they buy for that flip does cover vacancy. Mm -hmm. Now, there's two terms in the insurance industry that our people need to understand the difference on. There's unoccupied and there's vacancy. Okay. And these are legal terms that every insurance company uses exactly the same definition. A home that is vacant means there's no furniture in it and that you cannot sleep overnight, conveniently sleep overnight in the house, meaning there's not a bed, there's not furniture. Mm -hmm. That is a vacant property. And vacancy is what you have to protect yourself for unoccupied is basically says there's furniture, there's beds, 
there's linen, the house has everything in it. This would be like a snowbird or winter visitor home. And the winter visitor right now is back in Chicago or up in Canada because they're not here. That's unoccupied when no one is here, but it does have all the furnishings and all the furniture in it. And most insurance companies allow that with no special restrictions or limitations. Whereas vacancy, most insurance companies, you have to have a special insurance policy that covers vacancy. Otherwise, you're not protected. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings up the question then, which I never knew that. That's pretty cool. So so what about those landlords? You know, I know in Phoenix, this doesn't really probably happen as much anymore, but there's vacancy in between turns, right? In between tenants, maybe let's just say 30 days, two weeks, 30 days. So does that mean that I have to call my insurance company? Hey, I'm in between tenants. So most insurance companies allow a maximum of 30 days okay. of vacancy. Mm-hmm. And that usually takes care of the Your standard time policy. between tenants. Yeah. And in today's market, if you can't get a new tenant in within 30 days, you need to hire a different property manager. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, here in Phoenix, definitely we have uh we don't really experience it that, but still it happens. And mm-hmm. you know, it's good to know. Cause that's one of the things when I'm talking to people on the phone and they say, Hey, you know, my property is vacant. It's been vacant for two or three months. That's one of the things that I always encourage them to say, Hey, you need to call your um, insurance provider and let them know that this property is vacant because if something happens, they're not going to cover your property. Either it's not covered or there's an automatic increase in the deductible. Deductible. Yep. When the property is vacant, and usually that automatic increase is a minimum of five thousand dollars, and sometimes higher. Wow. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Good to know. What's next? So I love um, how you're prepared. Yeah. yeah. Usually we got to pull, pull it out of everybody. So let's talk about filing insurance claims mm-hmm. on your investment property. The first thing I would uh, say is that. The average home in Arizona has one claim every 15 years. And we're talking single family homes or condos. We're not talking about apartments or multifamily. One claim every 15 years. And when we talk about one claim, we're talking about calling the insurance company and placing a claim on the policy. It doesn't make any difference whether they Uh, whether it wasn't covered, Mm -hmm. whether it was lower than their deductible and it wasn't covered. When we say one in 15, that includes everything, everything. So people say, well, I filed a claim, but um, it turned out that I have a $3,000 deductible and the damage was only $200. Well, that's that shame on you because you need to know what your deductible is mm-hmm. and you need to not file a, an official claim if, if it's going to be less than the deductible. The average deductible for a rental property today is between $2,500 and $3,500. Some of them are even higher. A lot of investors like high deductibles because it cuts the cost mm-hmm. of insurance. So 
The first thing is know what your deductible is. I had a lady call me one time and she said, I need to file a claim. I said, oh my gosh, what's, what's going on? She said, I have ants in my sugar bowl. Mm. <laughs> I said, excuse me? She said, yes, I have ants crawling around inside my sugar bowl. Wow. And I said, well, your deductible is such and such. Do you think that the that the ants have eaten that much sugar. <laughs> and she said, oh, no, you're right. Forget it. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, right, right. You saved her a, a claim. Exactly. So uh, you always need to know, uh, I had uh, a claim on storm damage from the wind we had last week. Um, somebody called me up and said, I think, oh, a tree blew down. That's what happened. And trees that blow down and and don't hit anything mm -hmm. there's no insurance right. because it, i tell people if we if we were selling a life insurance policy for trees we would have to charge 10 times what we charge today because trees don't get watered and they die mm -hmm. they blow over in the wind and they die uh so uh, we're not covering trees. Now, what we do cover, if it's more than the deductible is, if a tree falls on a fence or falls on a storage building or mm -hmm. falls on the house, we do pay to have the tree lifted off and laid on flat ground. Okay. So if, it take, if they have to rent a crane to come out and do that, that is covered by the insurance to the extent it's more than the deductible but we don't replace the tree and we do pay for damage if it's our uh, customer we do pay for damage to like the house or the the a wall okay. or a storage building or something like that but cutting the tree up and hauling it away is at the expense of the owner okay Wow, a lot of good stuff that you've given us For here sure. today, uh, Clark. What about um, different policies for like condos, patio homes, townhouses, stuff like that? So that's that's a really good area because a lot of investors do find townhomes, patio homes, condominiums a good investment. Mm -hmm. I just had a... Canadian investor that came to my insurance agency and she had 21 condominiums, mm -hmm. 21 rental condominiums. And we insured each of them with 21 separate insurance policies. Uh, the first thing is occasionally if the owner of the property isn't really clear about it, the insurance agency may get the impression that the property is a single family house, a detached single family home. Mm -hmm. So it's really important for a, an investor, a landlord, to explain that the property that he's calling about or that he needs to purchase insurance on is a, a property like a condo, a townhome, a patio home. The key is is there a master insurance policy from the homeowners association? And that brings up yet another hiccup and another problem because all master policies are not the same. Even from the same insurance company, 
all master policies are not the same. What they cover and what they don't cover, you have to really probe and ask and dig to find out what is covered and what is not covered. Because the insurance agency is being asked to provide a policy that fits with the master without mm -hmm. duplicating coverage from the master. And so I always tell people, if you call an insurance agency and you've got a condo and you say, I need insurance for my rental property. And if they give you, if they say, if they say, well, uh, we have a policy for that and it's going to cost $425 a year. If they can give you an answer over the phone with one phone call, that's wrong. That's mm -hmm. totally and completely wrong. The only way that the insurance agency that you're talking to can give you a price or a quote is to say something like, okay, your property is located in such and such an association. We happen to know who the insurance company is that carries the master for that association. I need to call them. I need to ask them some questions. I need to make sure that the policy hasn't been changed in any time recently. And once I know exactly what you're getting free from the association, then I can figure out what you need from me. And then I can give you a price. So I'm going to have to take some information and then make a few phone calls and then call you back. I can't give you a price right now. I had a an executive from one of the very large insurance companies call me one day and say, I'm, I've got a condo and I need insurance. Can you help me? And we said, one of the ladies that works for me said, well, let me collect some information and we'll do some investigating and we'll call you back. Mm -hmm. And this executive who happened to be a CPCU, which means he had a uh, an industry degree, an advanced master's degree in insurance. He said, oh my gosh. He said, I've called seven insurance agencies. You're the first one that said you had to find some things out before you could give me a quote. All the seven other ones gave me a price right over the phone, the first go round. Hmm. And he said, I know, and I guess you must know that you can't do that. You've got to find out more information and so forth. So awesome. Okay. Good, good. A lot of insightful information here. And I know we're, we're coming to an end here, uh, Clark. So how do we get a hold of you? How do we find you? How do our members reach out? So my email address is really simple. It's rental, singular, rental at clarksanchez.com. Rental at clarksanchez.com. Or you can call me. I give out my mobile phone, which is 602-803-2179. Remember that you're pretty soon we're all going to have to type, put in the area code with our phone numbers, everybody in Maricopa mm -hmm. County. Mm -hmm. So it's 602-803-2179. And if you reach out to me or call the my cell, or if you go and send me an email at rental at Clark 
sanchez.com. And that's C-L-A-R-K, no E on the end of Clark, C-L-A-R-K, and then continuing without a space and without a uh, period, S-A-N-C-H-E-Z, clarksanchez.com. That's how you get a hold of me. And, and you can meet him in person. And you can meet me in person because mm -hmm. I always have a table at the Azria meetings in Phoenix, which are the second Monday of every month. Love it. Okay. Man. Meet them in person. Ask your questions. Grab a, a pamphlet. You give away those. Do you bring those pamphlets as well? Yes. Yeah. Um, and what's in there briefly? You get you give like a nice little welcome. Uh, investor owners, property manager, everything you wanted to know about residential property insurance. He has a free, that's free, right? So he has a free, uh, you know, five, 10 pages of information that, you know, so you know how to properly insure yeah. your house. Landlord's policy. Yes. Uh, real quick, before we wrap up, um, because I know that this is a question that a lot of people always ask. Replacement costs versus actual cash value. I know we touched on it, but there's something with depreciation, right? So I had a gentleman call me one time and he said, uh, help me with terminology. He said, I've, I bought an insurance policy from someone for my rental property. And the, the, they explained to me that this insurance policy pays the actual cash value of my property. And I'm, I found out that maybe that's not what I want. So Actual cash value is a legal term that's used by all insurance companies. And actual cash value, sometimes abbreviated ACV, actual cash value means that they're going to settle up with you after deducting for depreciation. Hmm. So if a new house would cost 400000 and if your house is pretty old and they might deduct 200,000 for depreciation so you're only going to get 200,000 on a $400,000 home okay replacement cost is the other end of that terminology replacement cost means that as long as you bought a big enough policy and that's important they're going to settle up with you by paying you what it costs to rebuild that house brand new today at today's prices. So you that's replacement cost. Okay. You want replacement cost. Now, if it's a $400,000 home and replacement cost is $400,000, but you only bought a $300,000 insurance policy, then you've also cut your own throat, cheated yourself because some people look at the bottom line. They only look at how much the insurance policy is costing. They don't look at the coverage. If you look at the coverage, you say, well, oh, some people say, well, the chances of a, the house burning to the ground and having to spend 400000 is very remote. So I'm only going to buy 300000 Well, that person is taking a risk, yeah. taking a chance. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to squeeze that last question in there because that is a big question, replacement costs versus actual cash value. So Clark, thank you so much Sir, for being you. here with us on today. This is take two.
<laughs> yeah. Uh, remember, you can always meet Clark in person, Venue 8600. Mike, we got some, well, Venue 8600. You can always meet Clark right there at his booth. So, okay. With that being said, signing off, you all have a wonderful day, wonderful evening, wonderful weekend, and we will see you on the next episode of the Azria Show. Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.